0: The so.
1: And welcome to the Strange Brew podcast. My name is Jason Barnard, and that was the Chris White experience. When my boat comes in, you may recognise some of the uh, you know fantastic voices and the sound. Chris, uh, Rod Argent, and Colin Blundstone are on that particular track. Welcome, Chris.
2: Hi, well, hi, Jason.
1: What a time to uh, be releasing some of your unreleased material. What with your recent induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as part of the uh, the Zombies.
2: Well, it all comes together, doesn't it? It's quite weird, really. I mean, when we were inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it was the same day. Exactly fifty years later, that the time of the season went to number one in Cashbox. The same day, fifty years. Wow! Yeah. Talk about coincidence. <laughs>
1: What was it like? Uh, I, I guess uh, after all this time to get that praise and recognition from from your peers of your work as part of that original lineup must must be something.
2: Oh, it was absolutely wonderful experience, and it was sort of sense of justification because we had to break up in nineteen sixty seven originally because no one wanted Odyssey and Oracle. And then it slowly grew over the years, and then we find out that uh, peers of ours like Tom Petty and. Uh, Uh, all the different people that sort of really grown up on those records and Susanna Hoff as well how much it influenced and that was a great feeling to sort of recognise how it's affected people as other songs in our past have affected us, you know Mm.
1: And it's interesting listening to the Chris White Experience Volume 1 and quite a number of those tracks they do really have that zombies feel which kind of highlights your role in helping to shape the band's sound
2: Yes, they do, actually. My, my two sons, Matthew and Jamie, we rescued about 20 of oh, nearly 50 boxes of old tapes which I, was in somebody, my mother-in-law's attic at the time and yeah. I just left them there and, and they suddenly discovered about 180 unreleased songs and things which is quite funny because I have to try and remember who played on them now.
1: <laughs> in terms of our opening track, When My Boat Comes In, looking at the sleeve notes, that's got Colin and Rod on as well?
2: That's right, that came at a time when um, Argent had finished and I was thinking of doing a solo album myself so Rod and Colin came into the studio and put down that demo Rod on keyboards and me on guitar and it just worked out, we've always been friends and always created together over all the years so it was so nice to have them do that for me
1: It does really have that classic zombie sound that could have been released almost a decade earlier
2: It could have been, yes (laughs) <laughs> it was really good. That's the combination of Rod, Colin and my voices together have that certain sound which hasn't been reproduced by anybody else since, really.
1: And the uh, range of material from this, uh, this volume of unreleased material, it spans quite an era. Uh, our next track being, I think, from four or five years ago, uh, A Trick of Starlight with Scott Bennett.
2: That's right. He got in touch with me because he said he wanted some jazz-conscious lyrics, um, and he sent me this track with la-la vocals on it, and with different four parts interweaving weaving harmonies, and just I, I just wrote lyrics for all of it, and, and he recorded it and sent it to me.
1: And again, it's got that sort of <laughs> zombies-jazz type feel on it.
2: Well, that's true. That's probably what I'm used to. It's really working with Rod, who was a great influence on me, and Colin. You you get to a style, and um, I I like challenges, and I like writing with other people as well. There's several writers who I I collaborated with, and um, I found it quite exciting and energising.
1: And I've heard there's quite a number of other volumes potentially being prepared.
2: Well, yes, they say they've got at least seven seven volumes to release, um, which is quite exciting. I've left it all to them, really. They called it the Chris White Experience, which wasn't my idea, but uh, it seems to have quite an effect on, on people liking it.
1: spoken to Colin and Rod, so what I want you to do is pick either different tracks or different versions of tracks than uh, what uh, I talked about with Colin and Rod. So I'm going to throw in a few few cover versions, if that works for you, of tracks that uh, you uh, wrote or co-wrote.
2: Absolutely fine. So
1: the first one is uh, Sonny and Cher, Leave Me Be. And the original version of that, that was the follow-up to She's Not There?
2: Yes, it was. We were disappointed with our version. The producer we were working with, Ken Jones at the time, wanted to keep that soft sort of vocal thing of Collins. We felt we played it we played it better ourselves on stage, a harder version, really. We weren't surprised when it didn't, it wasn't a hit. And I loved the Sonny and Cher version. I thought that was great, with you know, that sort of wrecking crew, Phil Spector-type treatment. Loved it, because I loved Sonny and Cher.
1: And, it, it, yeah, it does feel a bit more upbeat, the, the Sonny and Cher version.
2: Definitely, definitely far more exciting for me.
1: Was that your one of your first um, songwriting efforts in, in that period?
2: Yes, it was. Uh, Rod and I, would, would, when we first went in the studios, the, uh, the producer I think you should try and write something, because Rod wrote She's Not There, and I wrote the B-side, which was You Make Me Feel Good, which Rod always said should have been our second single, but of course, in those days, they put everything straight away on A and B sides. Mm. So when we, we, when we recorded Leave Me Be, it was coming back down from a tour and going straight into the studio and it, we weren't happy with the recording. But Sonny and Cher's version was, was really good.
0: If it seems that I'm too quiet, that's cause I'm missing you. My mind tells me I have to fight, but I can't help missing you. Better leave me alone. Better leave me alone until I can't think about you without feeling sorry for myself. Myself feeling tired and wanting It's not like I thought it would be Love just cannot end up parting My world shot from under me mm, You better leave me alone Better leave me alone Until I can think about you Without feeling sorry for myself
1: We move to another of your tracks that's uh, been recorded by other artists, but I wanted to play the the Zombies version, and that's "I Love You," which is a song that even now, with the current lineup of the Zombies, is very well uh, known.
2: Oh yes, they often start up with that one when I've seen them uh, in their current lineup, and they do it so well. They've sort of taken the People version um, and, and used that really, so that they, they've done a good job with it
1: the people version being the one that uh, a few years after the original became a huge success over in the states
2: that's right and there was a japanese version which was in japanese uh, called tsukisa
1: and i've heard that you uh, that, that part of the inspiration of for that or, or part of the root of writing that was uh, from uh, a tommy Rowe song
2: yeah well there wasn't tommy roe song we were on the road when the Dick Clark door and Tommy Rowe was on there, and I just heard him noodling ah. the chords between A minor to F, and I thought, well, that's a nice change. And so uh, I worked on it when we got back from the tour, put the riff into it, and then it developed into a song, mm. as songwriting goes, you know.
1: Even though uh, I Love You was one of the, the range of singles that didn't hit the charts over in unfairly over here in, in the UK, that it was actually massive in the Philippines,
2: Yes, it was. That was a, quite a journey. The we found When we found, we went to the Philippines and um, we thought we were playing in a hotel foyer. Uh, our manager let us down. We got, I think, £18 a day for 10 days and all costs paid. But then we turned up. we were playing at the second biggest Astrodome in the world next to Houston. Hmm. We were playing to 30,000 people a night for 10 days. <laughs> we were well ripped off.
1: And I've heard from, from Rob that, especially it links into that point about being ripped off, was that the zombies were huge in, in different parts of the world, but you, you just didn't see any of that capital.
2: Not at all, because it was days before the internet, so you, you weren't aware what was going on round the world. I think in those days, even to phone America, you had to make an appointment, you know.
0: Yes I do, but the words won't come And I don't know what to say I should tell you, I love you, I do My words should explain, but my words won't come I shouldn't hide my love deep inside My words should explain, but my words won't come I should tell you just how I feel And I keep trying Try to tell you I love you I love you I love you Yes I do I love you I love you I love you Yes I do, but the words won't come And I don't know What to say If I can find The words in my mind The words could explain But the words won't come if you can see what you mean to me, my words should explain, but my words won't come. And oh how hard I try to tell you I love you. But something holds me back when I try to tell you I, you I love you. I love you, I love you, yes I do. Yes I do, but the words won't
1: the time of odyssey and oracle was that just kind of a one one last roll of the dice
2: well i think that was when we went to the philippines uh we came back really without a manager no money and um no record company because decca had dropped us at that point so when we came back rod and i decided we wanted to go in the studio and and produce ourselves because we were never allowed to be at the mix sessions in those days So we went into, we got a £1,000 and went into Abbey Road Studios. We were very lucky and we just worked and worked on the album Odyssey and Oracle.
1: I previously spoke to Jeff Emmerich and he was he the engineer on that?
2: Oh, he did. It was fantastic. He said in his book, he sort of said he quite liked us because we didn't want to sound like the Beatles.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And what um, some people might know is that, you know, you you co-produced and wrote more than half of Odyssey and Oracle.
2: That's right. Yes, I did. Yeah, I, I probably wrote seven out of the twelve twelve tracks. So uh, yeah, I wrote the majority. But the influence of Rod and Colin, of course, is is still there. Actually, we're still friends, and we still we still like each other's writing and attitude.
1: So do you think by this sort of nineteen sixty seven sixty eight period, you found your your voice as a songwriter?
2: Yes, very much so. Um, it, it was so exciting working and, and producing ourselves because then we could go in and, and produce the songs that we could hear in our heads. Mm. That was the most important thing. And, and we rehearsed a lot before we went in because with only a £1,000, it doesn't last very long in Abbey Roads.
1: <laughs> and I've read that in terms of the song Beachwood Park, that's actually a real place?
2: Yes, I, I was brought up in a village near St Albans called Yates. And my father owned a general store, and we used to deliver to a, a girl's school that was there in a private park. It was an old private house. And I remember that the area was a beautiful wooded area, and I learned to drive there, actually, because it's not on the roads. And I was, mm. like, driving at 14. So Beechwood Park is a real place, and the sentiments are real about being there and, and re- writing the song about it. I just used it as a, as a, a scene a, a scene to set the song in, you know.
1: What was influencing your songwriting in the, the period?
2: That's a difficult question to answer. Uh, mm. You have the influences of other people's writing. The Beatles were very encouraging at that time. They were so exciting. and You think, well, I could, if only I, I could write some stuff like that. And, of course, Brian Wilson mm. was a great influence as well in his songwriting. And, of course, we have Darian Sahanaja working with us when we do Odyssey in Oregon. He, he did the... The pet sounds thing with Brian, he would be encouraging and he plays with us when we do Odyssey and Oracle live.
1: And many people kind of say that Odyssey and Oracle is like the bridge between the Beach Boys and, and the Beatles from that period now.
2: It's nice to hear that. It's nice to hear people say that. Mm. It's lo- it's lovely to get into a stage where people talk about the song the album influencing them. It's it's a great it's a great feeling. <laughs>
0: You remember summer days just after summer rain When all the air was damp and warm in the green of country lanes And the breeze would touch your hair, kiss your face and make you care About your world, your summer world And we would count the evening stars As the day grew dark in Beechwood Park Do you remember golden days and golden summer sun? The sound of laughter in our ears and the breeze as we would run And the breeze would touch your hair. Kiss your face and make you care about your world Your summer world And we would count the evening stars As a day grew dark in beach rapport All oh, roads in my mind Back in my mind And I can't forget you Won't forget you Won't forget those days And the breeze would touch you And kiss your and make you care About the world Your summer world And we would count The evening stars As a day grew dark In Beechwood Park. Old roads in my mind Take me back In my mind And I Forget you, won't forget you, won't forget those days and Beechwood
1: And another of your tracks from Odyssey and the Oracle is Brief Candles.
2: Yeah. When Rod and I were writing, we sometimes got our inspiration from book titles, not necessarily the stories, but there was a book by Aldous Huxley or a short story called Brief Candles. And I thought, well, that's a lovely idea. And just thought about three lonely people in a bar drinking and um, by themselves and musing this story to themselves about broken relationships and things. A bit like the uh, one that, that was the famous uh, Rockwell, Norman Rockwell painting of, of a bar in, in, in America somewhere, Lonely People in a Bar. That was really what it was about.
1: It's interesting what you say about taking your lead from the, the title of that Aldous Huxley um, book, because I understand that Aldous Huxley took his inspiration from Macbeth in relation to that reference.
2: <laughs> that I didn't know. Oh, well, that's an interesting thing you told me. I didn't really know that. And it's like Rod wrote to Rose for Emily from a song <laughs> title as well, uh, from a book title as well. We, some A songwriter will use headings in newspapers to spark them off for an idea
1: yeah there's there's a line in macbeth that's that goes something along the lines of out out brief candle life's but a walking shadow
2: ah yes i recognize that yes of course i do (laughs) because i I love i love shakespeare yeah (laughs) yes definitely i didn't know that that's that's an interesting thing
1: oh that's great It's, it's lovely to see that connection that flows all the way back
2: yes to one of the greatest writers in the english language
0: Class. She only needs to be alone. She knows this mood will pass. To realize that she was strong and he too weak to stay. say soon he'll understand
1: My favourite tracks from Odyssey and Oracle is uh, Butcher's Tale.
2: Oh, right. Uh, that's an interesting one.
1: Yeah. I understand that the, the inspiration for that was reading about the First World War in an A.J.P. Taylor book.
2: Yes, that's right. I think it was called The Donkeys. Uh, but also my uncle, my mother's brother, died at the Battle of the Somme when he was 16. He lied about his age. And she told me stories about it. And then I read this book. And basically, when it said on the first day of the Battle of the Somme, there were 60,000 casualties, I thought, wait a minute. Uh, Those 60,000 people have families. Think how many people affected by the first day. And I was driving a car to a rehearsal with the zombies. And I had to pull over the side of the road because it affected me so much. And I had a Saturday morning job as a student as delivering meat in a butcher's bike you see around the country oh. uh, within my village and and i just used the title as as a butcher you know because all different works of characters went joined up in the army and I, and, I, and it affected me so much i had to write that song
1: and there's the organ sound on that one which is very evocative
2: well yes i I bought an old pedal organ uh pump pedal pedal organ in a second hand shop it was covered in woodworm and everything i cured that and I, I wrote the song on that because it was a very evocative sound. In fact, on stage when we do it, Rod's got a, a an organ that was used on the battlefields when they went to church, and so we mm. use that. And it's very difficult for him to play because he has to pedal it all the time.
1: It was actually released as a single over in the in the states.
2: We couldn't believe that, actually. It was the first single they released. I think it was to do with the Vietnam War attitude, and they thought it might appeal to people. They even released it on a single with all the lyrics on the, on the sheet, on the, on the cover. And we thought, that's never, that's never a single. It's never going to be a single. And, of course, it wasn't successful. Mm. And it was the first release they did.
1: Almost every other track on Odyssey or Oracle could have been a single.
2: Yes, that's interesting. They, they picked the one that, <laughs> the one that wasn't to us. What was the obvious single? You know, but I think it was someone in the CBS department who thought, well, it's it's Vietnam and there's lots of thoughts about that, so we should put this out. Wasn't successful, hmm. but we did play it. It was it was quite interesting. We what we did. One of our last Odyssey and Oracle gigs we did was in Berlin, oh. uh, in and on a rooftop. There was a big big audience. And they sang along to every single word of every song, including Butcher's Tale, which was qu- it was quite frightening for me, really. Hmm. And of course, the other thing about Butcher's Tale—they call it Western Front 1914—it hmm. was actually 1916, and I'd written that as oh. the title. And it was the, some clerk at CBS who changed it while we were out touring. So. Uh, we haven't changed it since, but the real title is Western Front 1916, which, of course, is the Battle of the Somme.
1: So it's the, the second era relating to this, this, the Odyssey and Oracle Sleeve, then?
2: Yeah, it is, <laughs> well, definitely, <laughs> yes.
1: I've, I heard that uh, Colin was originally going to sing that, but, but thought it was a bit too dark for him.
2: I just thought they said, well, actually, he said... Your weak, ineffectual voice would be much better on that than Colin's,
1: because
2: <laughs> I did it. I, I did it as a, a lead for Colin to sing it, and they said, well, it sounds good as it is."
0: if the preacher, he could see Those flies wouldn't preach For the sound of guns And I
1: next we move from butchers tale for, for something far far more um appropriate for a, a single that is and it's uh friends of mine i have chosen a bbc session ver- version of that um a very very joyous uh track that one
2: yeah well it was it was a, a counter to butcher's tale because i i was i shared a flat with rod and of course terry quirk who designed the cover as well because he and i were at art school together and I was sitting around, and I had lots of friends around. A few of them were sort of obviously in first flush of youth love, you know. And I thought it was... I did it very slowly, just on guitar, and then Rod said, I think we ought to beef it up a bit. And wouldn't it be a good idea to put the names of people that we know who are in first love, basically, in it? And so we just put names of people we knew in it. Unfortunately, most of them are split up now or are dead because of the age. <laughs> So uh, nobody in that song is still together
1: It's almost like a musical counterpoint to to Sergeant Pepper In the way that they they put friends and famous people on the cover Whereas you put sort of, friends in the song
2: <laughs> Yes, that's a good thought I hadn't <laughs> thought about that one either yeah.
1: And this is, um, the the version I'm playing is a BBC session and you you did get um, quite, you know, some BBC sessions in in that latter period of the Zombies.
2: Yes, we did. Of course, the BBC had what they called needle time. They could only play so many hours of recording and so we used to have to go in and do it live, you know, which was a fun thing. Mm.
1: Yeah, I recall Kenny Everett was a a big supporter of the band.
2: Oh, Kenny Kenny Everett was great. In fact, when we split up, Rod and I went and took the album into him and he sort of said basically, hey, Zoms, he said, shouldn't you, uh, having split up, shouldn't you release the album and publicize it more, first of all? And he played, played it a lot and he loved it and he was quite responsible for getting uh, a few plays on radio. He was a wonderful bloke, actually. Very clever. Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas over in the States, was it, was it Al Cooper who, who was re- responsible or, or a, had a key role in, in promoting Time of the Season?
2: Very much so. Well, he, he came over to London when he did Blood, Sweat and Tears, but he came over to London before he got a job as a producer hmm. at CBS New York. And he got a pile of albums. And as he said, that Odyssey and Oracle stood out like a rose amongst thorns. And then he discovered that CBS actually had it but we recorded it with the English company and he went into Clive Davis and said, you ought to buy this album. And Clive Davis said, uh, actually we have it, but I've just passed on it. And he said, but I'll take your advice and, uh, review it. And so they put it out because he suggested that he, the CBS should put it out. And thank goodness he did. And he's such a nice bloke. He, he actually, when we did a, the first premiere of it in 2008, when we all got together to do it after 40 years, he, he introduced it on stage, which was wonderful of him.
1: Yeah, I had the, the great privilege of, of being there at the time. It was lovely to see.
2: Oh, well, I'm glad you were. There were lots of people. We thought we were only going to be able to do one day when it wasn't going to work, but then we spread out to three days. So we were very pleased.
1: But now
0: those friends of mine, the zombies. We're all in the crowd And you catch your eye And then you both smile feel the good inside. She talks about you, the things that you say, the things that you do.
1: period in the, in the following year, after time of the season, where there's been quite a, a bit of material recorded in that era linked to the zombies, and, and um, I've chosen a track, Imagine the Swan, that came out on the zombies banner. But was that a sort of pre Argent era?
2: Well, yes, Rod and I were putting um, we decided to stay in the business and work together, writing and producing, and but then time of the season suddenly became a hit and so we had a, a duty to record another album under contract so we used some old tracks that we never finished of Zombies and added to them and we recorded some new ones with the the band that was going to be Argent which was Russ Ballard, Bob Henrit and Jim Rodford and we brought Colin in to sing some things as well so Imagine the Swan was one of my songs and uh, that again was influenced by Ray Bradbury's uh, Drowned World book.
0: Hmm.
2: Uh, And there was a short story in that where a reporter goes to interview a lady and she only allows pictures of her when she was very young. And when he met her, she was an old lady, but he still found her attractive. And that's the idea where Uh I, I... And she said, I don't see the dragon in front of you, just imagine the swan that I used to be. I thought that was a great idea, so I wrote Imagine This One." Mm.
1: I think it was a, a, a minor hit in the States, but, but a, a strong track.
2: Yes, I, I, I liked it. Rod, Rod was the primary singer of that, and he did it very well. But it, 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 wasn't a, it wasn't a big hit at all, but it got a lot of publicity. But I liked it anyway.
0: Well, I have a picture in college. Is there in
1: Our next track, I think, is also from a similar era to Imagine the Swan. And I, I've picked um, a cover version, a kind of almost an American folky country version from Anna Egg. But the, the track is If I Could Spend the Day.
2: Oh, yes, that was that was one of Rod's songs. Um, yeah, but I haven't heard that one. Hmm. Um, I haven't heard that one at all. So I I, I bow to your knowledge <laughs> of it and I don't have, you know.
1: So were you kind of, um, was it almost like a Lennon and McCartney arrangement where, how how did it work compared to, say, Lennon and McCartney?
2: Well, when we finished The Zombies, Rod and I decided we wanted to carry on uh, Mm. because we were songwriters. And Rod, very generously, who'd had the two big hits in America, Mm. um, or three big hits, actually, he said to me, look, one song will keep us going. He said, why don't we put joint names on everything we write Mm. so he suggested that and after that the first song that was a hit was Hold Your Head Up which I wrote (laughs) I've never regretted it at Mm. all and I don't think he has as well because we're still good friends Mm.
1: So so in terms of that period where where you had your, your names against the tracks that either of you wrote, did you actually shape the songwriting on either side or were the songs wholly written alone?
2: Well, primarily we'd come up with songs and each of us would add a tiny little bit to the song like on, on Hold Your Head Up Rod did all the big solo stuff in the middle and he still gives me credit to this day that I wrote it when they do it on stage mm. but he said I wrote 90% of it and that was really how it worked and of course when you're producers and songwriters mm. the, the moulding of the song and the arrangements you do are part of it to be quite honest <laughs>
0: I'm mm-hmm.
1: Move into a track from the Collins Marvelous One Year album and, and "Smoky Day." So, given what we discussed in relation to that that partnership with you and Rod, whose whose track was "Smoky Day"?
2: That was mine. Yeah, Rod and I wrote it in in the flat we were sharing in uh, North Finchley at the time, and uh, I'd, I'd written the song uh, on acoustic guitar because I normally see so you can't write songs on a, on a bass, which is what I play. So you either have guitar songs or keyboard songs. Well, I did both, but that one was a guitar song, and Rod and Rod helped me mould it. To be quite honest, but it's basically my song.
1: And although it got released in '71 with Colin's version, that was a song that was recorded in that sort of late Zombies, early Argent era. Uh,
2: yes, Rod and I wrote it, and I think we we thought it was more suitable for um for Colin. I like his version; he's got such a great voice.
1: Yes, you can you can kind of. hear hear that sound it's sort of more lusher uh, rather than the sort of rockier side that Argent tended to have
2: exactly he was um, because his voice is even better nowadays I don't know how he does it to be quite honest I'm astounded Yeah, I'm astounded by him in his 70s and singing better than he ever did
0: Smokey day
1: You talked about Hold Your Head Up and again, I wanted to as, as I've already uh, played it um, I think in my, my podcast with Rod, I wanted to play a different version of Hold Your Head Up and this time by Mother Lovebone. Bone. Um, I don't know what you know about that one.
2: Yes, I've listened to that um, it, it's quite interesting because they've got the same basic ideas and arrangement but it's almost talked through, very full of energy but he sort of talks it through it's, it's not sung like Gus Ballard would sing it, or Colin sings it now. Uh, So it's it's an interesting version. I rather like it.
1: There's a little bit of a a tie with another song that was famously covered of yours. So Mother Love Bone was a band that was kind of like an early version of Pearl Jam, one of the grunge bands. Yes. Foo Fighters, obviously with Dave Grohl, did this, this will be, ah yes, there there seems to be a bit of um, support for you over in Seattle.
2: It seems to be, doesn't it? So far away, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. It, I, I so many people have done that song, and um, it, it's quite interesting. I like the different versions.
1: And just going back to hold your head up, that was a massive, massive hit, at, uh, top five over over here in the UK as well as the US.
2: Yes, that was that was very nice. We didn't think it was. It was actually put out as a B side on a single, oh. but the B side was the full six minute version. But then um, some people started playing it every week. We had another single to release coming up and then all of a sudden they, the company turned the record over, we edited it down, much, took most of the solo out and then it started taking off in the charts and, and that was a slow burner and then all of a sudden it's become a standard.
1: can't you lie lie to me i think from the early 1980s it's got that such a distinctive sound that colin Blunstone brings to that
2: very much so i i wrote that song with matthew fisher from Procol harem i produced two albums with him and the second one i wrote co-wrote most of the songs on it with him but um i thought it'd be an idea to get colin to do it and i really like his version
0: My eyes But all I see Are rainbows I still feel the same So what can I do And what will you tell me
1: I guess this leads up to some some of the material that we've heard in volume one and potentially hearing in other volumes. You're accumulating lots of uh, demos of material and working on projects with Matthew, etc. Uh,
2: yes, I I did. A, Matthew Fisher did. He asked me to write lyrics for an anthem competition that he was entering. It was a, a classic thing at Abbey Road, funny enough. They were looking for an anthem. in the competition and he asked me to write lyrics for it because someone else had let him down writing lyrics and I liked the the chorus so much that he did because he didn't do anything in the competition so my wife Vivian Boucher, who co-writes with me we wrote a a verse to it and a song to it and, and just used the choruses and and re-recorded it and I just love that I just love that song I love the way it's turned out I dance the dance because Bianca Kinan sings it and she's got such a great voice
1: the vocals and harmonies on that song are, are really really special
2: oh I'm glad you, I'm glad you like it because it, it affects me makes me very emotional when I hear it now because she's such a good singer and I just like the the sentiment of the song
1: so that particular song was uh, co-written with your wife and Matthew
2: that's right yeah well, well we credit him because I I I took the I told him that I'm going to use the, the chorus change the chorus slightly and then we the idea of the song was someone who's lost a little bit and she's walking out in the night and he suddenly hears these voices from a meeting hall or a church or whatever and which makes her think she can do it all again she can start again so I just loved I just loved the chorus the the choir singing in a hall basically mm-hmm. and she put a great vocal on it
3: I dance the dance One last time And left because The music died No song, no hope And no pride Nothing left at all On streets so dark In endless night I wandered far Far out of sight That's when I saw A single light Shine And then I
1: the end of the show but i think you mentioned this before so that there should be more volumes of the chris white experience
2: apparently i'm leaving it all to my sons <laughs> they, they're very enthusiastic about it and they're quite well up in technology and internet and record company stuff so i'm leaving it to them to put together because i i I've, I've listened to the songs they've found and i can't remember half of them it's weird you you, you write songs and if it does nothing happen to it. You put them away in the fridge, as McCartney used to call it. And um, it was interesting hearing some of these songs again, because some of them I can't even remember writing.
1: Time span, do they? How far back do they go?
2: From the 70s. Mm. So there's nearly 50, uh, 50 years of recordings there, you know. Wow. It's interesting.
1: You've got a website, thechriswhiteexperience.com, where people can uh, grab, grab their copy of uh, uh, Volume 1.
2: Yes, apparently so. They've, they've they've sorted that out, and I've done it on Amazon and different download things, and mm. there are plans to put it out as a proper CD. Probably the first three we'll put out all together. We don't know yet. Well, I've left it to them, as I said. They're enthusiastic, um, and uh, all I do is to try and remember who played on it.
1: As I said at, at the start, it, it's a, you know, it must be a great time for you with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, and uh, all this material... I, you know, I have to say, Chris, that the the standard that you set on Volume 1 is really, really special, and if it, the other volumes are a tiny bit of the quality of Volume 1, it, there's just there must be so much more good material for, for people to hear.
2: I think there is, and I hope there is, and I hope people like it because it's really enjoyable for me, because um, this will be our year. It took a long time to come <laughs> to quote my life. <laughs> <laughs> and we should, what Susanna Hoff said... And her induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which was lovely.
1: Well, maybe we should finish, given for what you say, maybe we should finish with This Will Be Our Year.
2: Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
1: It's a privilege and honour to talk to you know such a great
2: songwriter as yourself. Well, very nice of you to say that. Thank you. And it's been a pleasure talking to you.
1: Thank you, Chris. All right, then. Bye-bye.
2: Thanks, Jason. Bye.
0: Your love's like the warmth from the sun, and this will be our year. Took a long time to come. Don't let go of my hand now, the darkness has gone. This will be our year, took a long time to come. And I won't forget the way you helped me up when I was done. And I won't forget the way you said, Dad, I love you, you gave me faith. You go on. Oh! Now we're there, and we've only just begun This will be our year, took a long time to come The one of your smile, smile for me, little one And this will be our year, took a long time you don't have to worry, all your worried days are gone And this will be our year, it took a long time to come And I won't forget the way you helped me up when I was down And I won't forget the way you said Darling I love you, you gave me faith to go on Now we're there and we've only just begun This will be our year, it took a long time to This will be our year Took a long time to
1: Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew podcast. If you do like the show, please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online. It's been almost 10 years since I started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time. All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.